Welcome aboard, TTA travelers. We hope you enjoy Tomorrowland Transit Authority's Super Skyway. See that giant canister? That's when we collect your laughter. The more you laugh, the more power we collect. Hi, this is Minnie Mouse. I have so many errands to run, I might be out all day. Please leave me a message and I'll call you back. friend and welcome to the WW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangello, and this is show number 588, and I'm here once again not only to help you have the best possible Disney vacation experience when they go to the parks, but I also want to bring you a little bit of Disney magic wherever you are with the podcast, my live video broadcast on Facebook every Wednesday night, blog, special events, books, and more. Whether it's your first time visiting or you've been hundreds of times, if you're planning your next Walt Disney World vacation or just love the history, details, secrets, and stories, there's something in the show for you. Because each week, I'm going to take you from the parks to the screens and everything in between. If you're a new listener, thank you. Welcome. Please go back, check out some or all the past episodes for interviews, top tens, reviews, and more. You can subscribe to the podcast and Apple Podcasts and find everything else at www.radio.com. So this week, we're going to visit World Showcase, the one that never was, and the one that might be. We're going to first look at the early history of the idea of bringing different nations to the Disney parks, because it didn't start in Epcot, but in Disneyland with Walt Disney. We'll also explore early concepts for Walt Disney World, including its originally planned location, again, not in Epcot. Before exploring what we'd like to see come next to World Showcase, we're going to discuss what it takes to bring a new country to Epcot, as well as the spaces and places possible new pavilions could be located. We'll then share our top 10 countries we would add to World Showcase, as well as planned countries that were never built, and rumors of what may come next. Of course, I want you to share what country you would like to see added to World Showcase, where and why. I'll then have the answer to our last Walt Disney World trivia question of the week, and I'll pose a new challenge for your chance to win a Disney prize package. Then stay tuned to the end of the show. I'll have more information about our next upcoming WDW Radio virtual meet of the month, your voicemails, additional updates, and more. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WW Radio Show. Reflected in the waters of this man-made inland sea, there's a vision of the future of our world as it might be. The fragments of a miracle are falling into place in this showcase for the entire human race. 
people to people, culture to culture, nation to nation, coming forth and joining hands. This is World Showcase, the substance, the essence, the coming together of youth from distant lands. Did you know that plans for a World Showcase in the Disney parks dates back to 1955 and Walt Disney himself? Maybe not as we see and know it today, but Walt and his team of Imagineers, they were wed back in those days, had long considered incorporating an internationally themed area for their parks. And while it was never built, more on that later, no good or great idea ever dies at Disney. And less than three decades later, World Showcase and Epcot Center was born in October 1982. And what started with nine very carefully selected nations has grown to 11, but plans always seem to be in the works to expand World Showcase and add new regions, nations, and pavilions. So this week, we're going to not only look at the World Showcase that might have been, but we're going to do a little armchair imagineering of our own and share our top 10 countries that should be added to World Showcase, dare I say, should be World Showcased, And joining me is a man who himself loves international travel. He's like like an amalgam of Indiana Jones, Marco Polo, Christopher Columbus, Captain James Cook, Vasco da Gama, Lewis and Clark, Magellan, Jacques Cartier, and all rolled into one. That is, if you consider world traveling to be walking the entire length of the buffet at Golden Corral on International Night. He is, of course, Tim Foster from Celebrations Magazine. Hey, that that taco bar is pretty good. <laughs> that's that's travel. That's Mexico night for you, isn't it? Sure. Yeah, uh, to, to be perfectly upfront with everybody, I've never been out of the country, so... <clears throat> When I say I travel the world, I'm talking about World Showcase, much to the delight of my coworkers and friends. Florida and New Jersey are Florida. basically the extent of your international travels. I saw New Jersey once. I didn't cross the river. Yeah, Florida. <laughs> so, so listen, I, I think this is going to be fun because I think this is one, Tim. This is a conversation that I think everybody has had either – Internally, you know, sort of an internal monologue or, or conversations that we have with friends. But before we start to think about top 10 ones that we want to add to World Showcase, I, I think we should go back to a little even pre Walt Disney World history because so, I really want to kind of give this uh, concept context. And when I talked about how it went back to 1955 and Walt Disney, you're like Mangello, Disney World hasn't been here in, in, before 1971. What I meant was that uh, decades ago, um, really when, when Disneyland first opened, they announced an international street for Disneyland. And it was going to be this winding pathway that was going to have all different types of facades that represented different nations and then they changed it it was going to be like i think the following year they had this idea for an international land that they were going to sort of shoehorn in between fantasy land and tomorrow land and some people were calling it little europa 
and it was going to have the rivers of Europe and all these uh, excursion boats, things like storybook, canal book uh, boats that would pass all these vistas from a variety of different European nations. Eventually, they scrapped that idea and they put in the Matterhorn instead in 1959. Now we sort of fast forward to, you know, decades later, we're starting to think about, you know, Walt Disney World. We're starting to think about Epcot, this this idea of uh, a city of tomorrow. And even going back into the early 70s, um, they were starting to think about this international exhibit area um, that was going to be a permanent World's Fair that was not going to be where Epcot is. It was actually going to be a permanent, expandable international area on the monorail line on Bay Lake. Whoa. Pauses for dramatic effect. So there were talking, there were, there was discussions of these different themed areas, like an Asian themed area and an Irish themed area. There was concept art. And then over the years, I know we've talked about this on past shows. There was this evolution of what a world showcase was going to be, you know, in, in Walt's 66 discussion about what Epcot was going to be talked about this permanent international showcase. And then even, Nearly a decade later, Card Walker talked about how nations of the world could participate on a permanent or semi-permanent basis to demonstrate the culture and their products. And Tim, I don't know, I'm, I'm sure you've seen them before. Do you remember the, there's the concept art of those dual semi-circular buildings that were going to be sort of interconnected? That was going to be originally what they wanted to put across the Seven Seas Lagoon from Magic Kingdom in the area sort of where the transportation and ticket center is near the Polynesian. Um, And the way it was designed was that every nation was going to have equal frontage, right? So the way that it was these circles were, these semicircles were designed, think of it almost like a shopping mall where every storefront was the same size so that nobody would have any more prominence or dominance over anybody else. There wouldn't be no sort of real competition with each other for the uh, attention for visitors. They would, some would be longer and deeper than the others and sort of these sort of modular type structures, but there'd be this courtyard of nations in the center where they'd have all these cultural events, but then you can go into all the individual countries through these entrances in these two semicircular buildings. It's cool. Yeah, I do. I have seen it. And I always thought that was really cool. <laughs> but like, I, it was like little wedges going off into the background. So, but yeah, I do. I, I have a book with that in there. And I, There's, um, I thought that was really, really cool. Yeah. And it would have been really interesting had that developed, especially where it developed uh, as well. And I just think it's fascinating that. You know, it goes back to Disneyland in the 50s. It goes back to Walt Disney World in the 70s. Even um, in the mid-70s, just maybe three or four years after Walt Disney World opened, Jack Lindquist, who I interviewed on the show many, many years ago, um, who was president of um, the parks and marketing, talked about how they had already begun conversations with countries. And he specified, like, Russia and the Philippines and a number of other ones. And supposedly they had shown plans to nearly 30 different nations 
And while nobody actually signed contracts yet, they had expected 10 for what was going to be a proposed opening date of 1979. So this was actually going to predate what Epcot Center was. And it just it's sort of interesting to think about what might have been, how different this all would have been if that was the direction Disney and the potentially participating countries would have gone. That's pretty cool. I remember seeing concept art too for proposed countries that never made, but that that was for Epcot, correct? If you know what I'm speaking of. Right, right. There was a lot of concept yeah. art, right? As as things started to develop, uh, there was a lot of concept art. There was a lot of models and stuff too. Yeah. Um, and I think we should even, you know, maybe we should talk a little bit about that again because I think some of the nations that we're going to talk about in our top ten may have been there. ones. Yeah, they were they that. were ones. <laughs> That were considered. Yeah. So I think, look, yeah. I think there's a couple of questions that we need to almost ask ourselves and ask you, the listener, before we get to this list, right? So what does it mean to be a participating country? Now, and I, I want to sort of answer that to so that people understand what it actually takes to put a pavilion in World Showcase, right? Where can we add them, right? What sort of space is actually left from a, a purely practical point of view our top 10 list our wish list we're going to call it and maybe even some pavilions and i think there's going to be some overlap that have been rumored to come and we know tim every year every two year uh the name sometimes the same sometimes new names start to come up so after we go through our list we'll talk about some of those rumors as well Unless I happen to include one on my list. But. Well, I think we're definitely going to. Uh, I think we're definitely doing, <laughs> going to include a lot of those. Add fuel to the rumor fire. Yeah, well, because we all hear it, right? That this one, we I've yeah. seen it. I know it's coming. I've seen concept art. They're breaking ground. My friend is starting to work there, you know, and <laughs> varying <laughs> right. degrees, uh, just like all the new theme parks that Disney is building around the country. Right, but, right, right. Um, <laughs> so, you know, what what does it take to bring a country into World Showcase. And going back to 1975 it was really one of the first annual reports to shareholders that started describing what World Showcase was going to be when it opened in late 1979, which was, you know, this these uh, showcasing the scientific technological aspects of countries, uh, international cooperation, understanding this ongoing international exposition, which is going to communicate the culture, I'm quoting now, the culture, heritage, history, technology, trade, tourism, and future goals of the participating nations. Again, the annual report talked about these semicircular structures and this courtyard of nations and really sort of compared and contrasted it to why it was like a world's fair and why it was not like a world's fair and how Disney was going to be involved. So in addition to themed restaurants and shopping and exhibits and displays and cultural presentations, they wanted to also highlight some of the industry uh, trade center. They also wanted business meetings to be held there as well. They wanted it to be used for corporate uh, functions and events as well. But Disney also said, look, a major part of the pavilion has to be a Disney designed ride or attractions, which is going to give guests a taste of what it feels like to actually visit the country. And they were very, very encouraging, let's say, on having national music groups and other performing artists presenting entertainment 
on really a continuing basis. But when we say participating countries, what that really means translated is the countries have to see value in being there because they are going to have to spend money in order to be there as well because each of the participating nations has to provide capital in order to cover the cost of the design and the development and the construction of the attractions and the pavilions and the rides and exhibits and everything else like that. And they also, the participating country is going to be responsible for funding the housing for the employees. Again, these international program cast members had to have housing, which Disney wanted the participating countries to provide. So Disney would be responsible for area development and the construction and utilities, etc. So it would be sort of this coordinated effort financially, but they had to have funding from the countries themselves. And this, as we know, we've talked about this a lot on past shows. This is a lot of the reason why some of these ideas and proposed countries never came there, um, you know, because they had to have not just the, the participation of the country itself, but the financial participants, participants, as well. And it's not just, you know, foreign countries. Look, American Adventure was sponsored initially by American Express and Coca-Cola. If you think back, there was a lot of um, logo and branding on the signage. And really, all of the original nine pavilions had participants, except for initially Canada and China did not necessarily have sponsors. But some of them, like France, had like, I think, six or seven different corporate sponsors whose names I will not say because I do not want to butcher them. Um, and then as you know, Morocco, <laughs> oh, I'm going to be doing plenty of that. Going. No. Yeah. We'll give us time to butcher names a little bit later on. But uh, Tim, you know, when, when Morocco came in 1984, there was no corporate sponsorship. The King of Morocco sponsored it himself because he saw a great opportunity there. He sent over his artisans and Malams to create everything. Um, and the restaurant and the pavilion are still to this day an entity that was set up by the Kingdom of Morocco. Very cool. So we should expand on. <laughs> so, so all right. So again, just before we get there, I want to. I'm trying to think yeah. practically. What does it take, right? Because you're saying you might be saying, well, how much could it possibly cost? And and while we don't necessarily know. Over the years, there have been um, conversations. I've met some folks and I've heard from folks who have worked there. The the ballpark number that was thrown out um, for for a number of years, which I have to assume is more now, was about $50 million or so to build an international pavilion there, right? And you had to have at least 50, 75 employees that all had to be paid by the host nation or that representative group. Um, You have to also assume that there's got to be some type of rent that's paid and and a share of the merchandising uh, proceeds as well. But I think, Tim, too, that Disney also needs to be and wants to always be very careful about what nations can and should be there not just and, and as we get to our conversation, we'll talk about the politics or lack thereof in, in our ideas. But I think they also want to make sure that they want nations that that Disney thinks is going to attract a large portion of Epcot's 
very high number of guests each that attend each year. Yeah, and I guess that's a delicate balance of uh, wanting to share. Because I was going through when I was trying to make out my list of, uh, and I had that, like countries that um, are, you know, big countries that seem like they should be there versus some smaller countries I thought would be cool. And it would be nice to see their cultures because as I was researching this, a lot of things I didn't even know, which um, I'm sure many guests wouldn't know either. And that's the point of all of this. Um, on a philosophical other uh, level that we all um, ex- uh, get to experience different cultures and how different people live throughout the world and 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 how great that is but uh, but some I recognize some of these countries I was thinking of are actually pretty small and uh, the food they eat I don't know if I'd want to eat it, but, uh, you know, stuff like that. But. Right, right. Luxembourg wouldn't even get a, a, a building. It would just be a kiosk, like a little cart for Luxembourg. Right. But, uh, you know, and it is. And I think we see that at, uh, you know, food and wine and, and uh, so forth when, you know, the, the small, uh, I don't want to say smaller because that's not nice, but smaller countries um, are able to come and have uh, a presence there. Not in a fifty million dollar pavilion necessarily, but that's um, that was a nice thing to come out of uh, food and wine and and other festivals is uh, letting other countries be seen and visible, and albeit on a dessert and wine level, and that's about it. But um, yeah, it's nice to see that. So, well, look, you you know but, me, Tim. Uh, you know that that. I think the it best way to learn about a food. culture is through its food. So it only yeah, makes... Well, I'm going to share some uh, really interesting delicacies with you. I'll <laughs> see if you're in. And uh, it's all part I'm not of sure the- if you're serious or not. And either way, I'm intrigued. Uh, and, and, <laughs> well, and I, think, I learned some stuff, you know. So. Well, and I think the other thing we have to think about, too, is there are the practical logistics of the spaces and places, right? Where in World Showcase... Can you actually put another country? Now, we're going to leave out there. There were talks years ago of sort of blowing out the back of of part of the World Showcase Lagoon, expanding it to a secondary lagoon to have additional frontage on the water. And and there was an Australia pavilion. But right now, you know, as you sort of look around World Showcase or hop on your Google map and take a look down, you know, there's no sort of gaping holes that appear to be present although there actually still is room for at least four i think maybe even as many as six so for example if the if you take the world showplace pavilion which was Mm -hmm. the former i'm using air quotes temporary millennium village structure that's at least one but i don't think that that's necessarily going away anytime soon because it is a it's a great um, venue for special events it's also a great revenue generator as well Um, there is also some room on uh, one side of the american adventure pavilion right because the idea originally was that world showcase was designed with 10 pavilion sites on either side of the american adventure which would give 21 sites total that's obviously changed a lot over the years but just because you don't necessarily see even in in Google Maps a site as being occupied, it doesn't mean that it's completely empty. So there's also that area in between 
Germany and Italy. So if you look where the model railroad and that little German village is, it's wonderful. And it's, it's, you know, kids and adults love it, but it really was a quote unquote temporary filler, right? Because that's just sort of blocking the frontage of the area that could be used for another pavilion. Um, and there's also room in between um, uh, over by China uh, as well. In between China and Germany, there's actually two spots. Um, right now, you see the African outpost there. We know that was going to be home for the Equatorial Africa Pavilion as part of phase one and phase, phase two of the expansion of Epcot Center. Um, but yeah, so even between Japan and Morocco, there's some space there. Uh, in between UK and Canada, possibly uh, some space. So, you know, maybe there's four definite, maybe as many as six. But Tim, we've got at least 10 to cover in our top 10. And I don't know if this is your wish list, uh, ones that you want to add, ones that you think will be added. Uh, I'm sure there's going to be overlap just based on my culinary tendencies alone but well, well wait and see i would uh i would love to know where you would go first and look you, you as always we don't talk about this ahead of time no no this can either be the one that you want the most or you're counting down to you know your ace in the hole uh it as usual i i lead with the one i don't want you to steal just to get it out of the way the advantage of going first. So, um, and this is funny because I, you know, trying to think of them, like you said, do you base it on what we think would work there or what I personally would like to see? I think I did more of the latter than the former. Um, but I had long thought, and this might seem like an unusual choice, but I thought Iceland would make a light and like a nice pavilion. Wow. Wow. I- Going right to it. And that's the one you thought I was going to steal. Oh, no, I just wanted to make this one I did. <laughs> that's when I did the most homework on. And I want to make sure you didn't take it. No, but I thought Iceland would be cool because it's. Um, and again, I've never been there. I and and most of these, as I found out, I was trying to research because part of this is I can say Iceland, but we're going to put on our Imagineering hats and try and think about, well, what would be there? And so for that, I did realize I kind of need to look a little bit into the countries and what they have and stuff. And again, that's the whole point of world showcase to expand our frontiers. So this was actually a fun exercise, but again, I know of Iceland, but I didn't know much about it. Um, other than it, it, it goes into the cool countries category for me, not temperature wise, even though it's cold, but uh, you know, it's, it's a pop. It's, getting more popular as a tourist destination. I know people who went there and I've, they actually took a drone and did a flyover of, of some of the landscape and it's just incredibly beautiful there. But um, yeah, so I thought Iceland could be a nice pavilion maybe because, well, it has a lot of history and I, a lot of this, uh, they shared the Norse history with Norway um, to a degree. So um but it has a lot of its own charm. And I don't know where to start. I was trying to think uh, as far as a centerpiece, like in Mexico, you have the pyramid and uh, you know, the pagoda tower in Japan and all that. What would it be for Iceland? Cause I don't know any landmarks in Iceland. Do you, do you Lou? 
Do you know? Uh, uh, a few of a landmark. I don't know. <laughs> of a landmark in Iceland that would make a good centerpiece for the pavilion. I mean, I found one, but I realized, I'm sure I that know. my mental image of Iceland is probably not even close Nowhere to doing near. the country. It's 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 justice. <laughs> well, it's it's funny because I remember. Uh, I don't know if this was actually true, but it was kind of one of those. The why do you park in the uh, drive in the driveway and park in a parkway? That kind of thing. <laughs> like why is Greenland called Greenland when it's just a big glacier, and Iceland is called Iceland when it's actually very green like and you know i think there was a story of uh, the settlers from a long time ago explorers mixed the names up to purposely throw everyone off the scent that iceland was actually the cool place but i don't think that's true i don't know if that's true or not but that being said yeah i don't think it looks anything like you think it looks like 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 canada when you're, you're the one that goes in there and snow and 30 below it's 365 days a year and you're you're the one that goes yeah that's right right I, and then I, martin short used to <laughs> um used to chastise you <laughs> no 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 but um but i did find as i was looking around um uh right this is uh the first of the names i'm gonna just butcher and the olympics were there i should know this but Reyk- reykjavik is the city there hopefully i'm saying that right um but they have an actually cool thing. I didn't know this. Kind of like a spaceship Earth. They have a thing, a structure called the Perlin, uh, which is the Pearl in English. It's like this big, massive glass dome. That's uh, it's actually over a bunch of water tanks. But they opened it as a as a, <clears throat> a landmark kind of thing for people to come in and see. So it's actually cool looking. There's your centerpiece right there. But um, as I was uh, looking into like what goes on in Iceland, it there's so much nature there and they actually have um, a show in the Perlin about called the wonders of Iceland. that talks about the glaciers and the geysers and the volcanoes and all the, all the geographic interesting parts of Iceland. And that could be something we look at. I think that'd be good. Like uh, the Norway film was uh, when it was there. Um, they could have a bookstore because did you know, Lou, that the ice, Landers are have the highest number of bookstores per person of any country in the world. Did you know that, Lumanjo? Well, it makes sense because it's probably very cold there, and they <laughs> need to stay inside and oh, read. Oh, stop it now! <laughs> stop it now! No, they're very educated. So, so you could have a bookstore, and that so people would know about that. They even have a a, a, a celebration, or not a celebration, but a time period they call the uh, <laughs> Yola Yola Flood. Mm-hmm. Which is the Christmas book flood. So it's actually a thing there where they get lots of uh, stuff. Um, uh, for entertainment, I thought this is where I get a little selfish with my Iceland pick. Of course, they have a rich tradition of music and they could have um, traditional uh, Icelandic music playing. But I think this individual, one of my favorite um, singers, I don't think she's doing much. I think she would agree. That she could come over here and do a, a one o'clock, a three o'clock, a four o'clock, a five o'clock. I think Bjork would do great <laughs> in Epcot. <laughs> she would do great. I want you to do me a favor. I and want I you to pronounce her, so, yeah. Bjork's last name. Bjork. Wait, I have to look it up. Can I look it up? <laughs> it's hold got on. about I, 113 I know, letters in it. <laughs> wait, hold on. I'm going to do this. And I apologize to her in advance. Right, hold on. That's I'm not clicking. even going to try it. I'm not even because I'm going to. Uh, Bjork 
Kiamen's Chuchur. Something like that. How was that? <laughs> On behalf of America, I apologize to you, Iceland, for that. Kiamen's Chuchur. You know, Wikipedia's pronunciation guidelines aren't very helpful, but uh, <laughs> that's why we call her Bjork. Now, I kid, of course, but um, uh, that that's probably one of the reasons I did think of Iceland most, because uh, of Bjork. I think for most people, that's why you know Iceland, because of, of Bjork. But on the cuisine side, Lou, this is where it's going to get exciting for you. And this is where I'm going to put your... <laughs> your... Uh, willingness to try other things to attest here um there's a there's a silver lining in this but as far as food it's all you know meat and fish and all that i i saw the most uh a popular a traditional dish is a paramature if i'm saying that right and it's more of a buffet kind of thing uh offering it's like cured meat and fish cut into slices and served with you know Dark rye bread. I guess like in Italian, the um, oh, what do you call that when you get all the cheese and meats? That little dish. I just want to keep I, listen. I, the only reason why I'm doing this segment, Tim, is just to hear you mispronounce all the different. No, like you know what I'm talking about. So anyway, no, but this uh, if you if you fancy yourself a piece of a fermented shark, boiled sheep's head. Liver pudding, seal flippers. That's what's in store for you if you have mm, this. Mm, that's some good eating. Are you right in? <laughs> Woo, bring on the food and wine festival. I'm down. On the bright on the brighter side, there there there's a good there's a cool thing I found out about Iceland. Not only do they love books very much so, but they love Coca-Cola. Hmm. And I don't know if it's official, but they are often credited with having the highest per capita consumption rate of Coca-Cola of any nation in the world. To which I say, the cool spot or the club cool or whatever, <laughs> I think has a new home in the Icelandic community. The well, right. Remember Club Cool and the caveman <laughs> so, that used to be in the, in the end yeah, of the club well, cool? Right. And I don't think he was in Iceland, but um. Um, I, I'm I'm lamenting the loss of that, but uh, that was the other reason with Iceland because oh they like Coke. That's a perfect fit there. I don't know if the poor poor mature whale pickled whale blubber and sour milk is going to wow anybody, but Club Cool relocated. I'm in. So, so I'm going to tell you, I never. In a million years, Tim Foster, 15 what? or so years later, you still continue to surprise and delight and fascinate me. Never in a million years did I think Iceland. And that's nothing ah, against see? the Icelandic people, because from what little I do know, and look, and I find this to be a wonderful educational opportunity because I don't, other than like the Northern Lights and Bjork and. Oh, Northern Lights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a show. That's a show right there. You know, so I do have to surmise that it is a very outdoorsy, nature-centric type of culture. And again, I, you know, I, I'm I'm guessing, but for um, outdoor enthusiast travel, it's probably wonderful. I've heard that the people in the country is very welcoming, very warm country. So I I would relish the opportunity to learn about it. Um, Iceland was not on my list. Well, Iceland you, was not is... on my list. And this is one of those, like you talked about, when you weigh uh, with some other countries we'll get to that seem obvious 
long histories and they're, you know, they're big countries and have a lot of people. Um, yeah, Iceland was one of those, well, it's kind of a small country, so I don't, I'm not sure how, uh, how do I say that? Like if you had the pavilions today, like you, you have France and Japan and you already kind of know them in your head. So, you know, you're going like, I think a point you made earlier, um, I don't have much draw, you know, a small country like Iceland or Luxembourg, which is probably on your list coming up, you know, what happened, especially not knowing much about it, but, uh, but you know, that's what we do at world showcase. we learn. You know, but whether that's full pavilion or a millennium village kiosk, I don't know. So I'm going to go and I am unapologetically going to go for one that is is mentioned quite often. Um, it might be considered an, an easy one and that's OK, but I think it is one that I and many others. And again, full disclosure, clear caveat in discussions of any of these nations and pavilions, we are unquestionably leaving out any politics, uh, economies, current state of international affairs for purposes of this this discussion. Plus, I'm not smart enough to have any of those conversations <laughs> anyway because I just don't know. So forgive me if I, for some reason misspeak i am going purely as a a wide-eyed rose-colored glasses traveler that wants to experience and understand and learn about these cultures and these places that i've either seen or heard about or or watched on movies and that's why you know and and almost unquestionably for me um and, and i know it's a super softball it's egypt um, Egypt, oh, man. well, That's you knew Egypt list. was going to be on the list. So, ah. but cause Tim, how could it not be right? How I could mean, it not be because, and for, I mean, look from the, the most simplest 30,000 foot level, right? You have this, the, 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 the potential for the icons that you put there, right? Is it the Sphinx? Is it the pyramid of Giza? Is it the Luxor temple? Like you've got incredible, opportunity there but the the fantastic and yes mysterious rich history and architecture from ancient egypt um for the, you know for for hundreds and hundreds of years is what i think makes it such uh, a prime candidate for, to have one of those few spots um there's you can let your imagineering creativity brain go wild for attractions shows interactive features an archaeological dig some type of choose your own adventure ride and i'm not even like don't even connect it to anything like ip or indiana jones like this is ancient egypt in terms of learning about it and how ancient egypt the technology that they created so long ago has contributed to modern just look you know the ancient egyptian pounding reeds flat like that's paper right so the ancient egyptians have have done so much i'm not even going to talk about the food because i know so little about it but i got some food uh on, on that i have an idea but again you've got 
you know, the, but, the, the yeah. pyramids and the pyramids again, they're they're it's clear, it's obvious, but it is, you know, if you think about it, it's the last of the seven wonders, right? You've got Luxor's, uh, the Karnak Temple, Valley of the Kings, even learning about, you know, Islamic Cairo, right? And and the mosques and some of the monuments that date back um, so very far, the, the open marketplaces, even some places like um, Aswan, right? The, the, that, sit on the Nile river, which is very different than maybe what you would think about for Egypt. Um, Abu symbol, right? So that, that, um, that temple with the statues of Ramses out front. Um, but I think there's just so much look as a kid, I loved, I, I was growing up when the Tutankhamun exhibit and, and was really sort of, um, gaining popularity, and I was fascinated um, by the stories of the boy king and the pyramids. And still to this day, I'm not sure, man. Is Giorgio Sukalos correct? Was it aliens, or were they just <laughs> really, really smart? And what are we missing? But I just think there is just so much to to learn and discover and enjoy about Egypt. Um, it, it it's it's a it's an absolute no brainer. Uh, yeah that that was one of the ones I thought of too, and uh, you know that what I was thinking about too is uh, you have that aspect of historical importance, um, and it doesn't get much more historical than Egypt being one of the oldest countries and the cradle of civilization. I mean. You can't get much more important than that. Um, but then if you want to weigh that, and I'm, I'm trying to think like a going around world showcase, uh, you, you kind of have a mix of the country's history and all that, but you also get hopefully to, you know, meet the people there and uh, learn about the culture today too. Um, and in the most cases that comes down to the food, as you know, and talking to people, but, and again, not knowing much about Egyptian food and stuff, I did find, and I thought this was cool. So you could have, you could in Egypt, because it's very popular there, a tea and dessert stand, because tea is a, tea is the national drink of Egypt, which I did not know. So, and I'm this a tea is guy, what it, so it's perfect. This is all, well, I, you know, that you have the, the joy of tea in China, which I quite enjoy, and you, you have tea in England. Um, but, you know, tea in Egypt is, is quite another story. Evidently, it's very, very bitter, and, you know, lots of sugar and cream and milk, which they do drink their tea with. So um, but I was reading about the desserts, too. They had me at uh, it's called Kunafa, if I'm saying it right, a sweet cheese pastry soaked in sugar syrup. Come on. Hmm. I'm done. So, yeah. So I think <laughs> as far as. um. Uh, it's an interesting one because there's a lot of historical stuff you can learn undoubtedly uh, even uh, like similar to Morocco with the uh, the detail and the tile work and the artistry that goes into uh, Moroccan architecture there's a lot of that with Egyptian architecture as well besides you know besides the pyramids and sphinx and all that kind of stuff that you mentioned um, Egypt's uh, art 
a history of art goes way, way back too. And they were one of the first civilizations to use elements of art. And so you could have a whole thing with that, you know, with the uh, hieroglyphics and symbols and all that kind of thing. Um, much like there's a, you know, Morocco has that uh, little, which most people don't know is there. I assume it's still there. The um, uh, museum of sorts, you can go and you can see a lot of representation of art and jewelry and all the, the uh, that side of Moroccan culture. You could do something with that with Egyptian culture as well within the pyramid or the Sphinx or whatever you have as the big draw there. But, but yeah, most definitely had that on my list. Hey, you can have a Nile River cruise ride too. So, you know, exactly. There's your, there's your attraction right there. Or walk through the desert, you know, because <laughs> it's mostly desert there. But so where does that take you next? I'm, I'm, I'm in Egypt. So I was just piggybacking off you. Well, I'll go to another one. Uh, let's see. Hmm. There's one I know you're going to do. I'm going to go to that one. Just in case. And you mentioned this earlier. Um, I think a no brainer for everybody for long, long time has been Australia, which you did mention before. And um, so much you could do with Australia would be fun. We know about as far as uh, structures and icons, the Sydney Opera House, of course, Um, which is interesting because you already can see it in another well, you can see the pyramids too over um, sword, and you can see that, but that doesn't count. That's not the real thing. Um, but you can do a lot. Of course, Australia has a very unique uh, n- nature. Its nature is very unique in the world. You have so many animals that you don't see anywhere else. Um, the the food, Vegemite. I mean, <laughs> that might not on. be the biggest selling point for Australia. But <laughs> well, then, how about this pavlova? Which is, which is, it looks delicious, and I didn't know it's a very it's it's very popular there. It's a it's a meringue dessert, um, which is uh, topped with whipped cream and fresh fruit. I guess it's like a, it's their funnel cake. Although I will say, full disclosure, I know there's a little. Uh, uh, this unsure uncertainty of whether it actually came from New Zealand, but we'll leave that for much smarter people than I to debate, but it's generally considered an Australian dish. The thing I thought was, was, I mean, one, it looks delicious, but two, I don't know how they would deal with this in Florida's balmy 95 degree, 90% humidity days because, uh, it being meringue, apparently a thing with pavlova. When you, hopefully, I'm saying that right. When you make it, is it's uh, notorious for deflating if exposed to cold air. The classic: you open the oven door too soon and your souffle collapsed. It does that a lot. So when they cook it, they actually cool it, like let it fully cool, put it in the fridge. So I'm trying to imagine the little stand where they're pumping these out, like. <laughs> And not having them fall down. I'm sure there'll be a little, there would be a little Disney magic involved with that. But, but, you know, I, there's so many ways you can go with uh, a central, you know, uh, iconic structure to go with it, what you would showcase, what the ride would be. Um, 
I, I think it would be good not to, we, we know the, I think with a lot of these countries, we know too, there's a lot of, oh, how do I say it? Things that come to mind right away that might be, might be stereotypical. Does that make sense? Like, uh, like the way we see Australia or think of it um, versus what it really is like. So I think this, you know, some of your, your go-to things that you might think of, you could do that, but um, you know, there's an opportunity to dig a little deeper and find out more that, about the country that you might not know about. Like a lot of the aspects of the, of its nature that aren't anywhere else in the world would be cool to learn about. But um, like, in other words, I, I don't think having like a crocodile Dundee ride would be, you know, maybe <laughs> so the best we, way almost, to showcase. Right, since most people have no idea who crocodile Dundee is anymore. So, Oh, oh well, or, or, or rescuers down under. And <laughs> one thing I actually was thinking of this going through, like when you're talking about, whether a, a pavilion should have a central attraction if it's not a movie and, or they don't have one like some of the pavilions do now, but you know, we've, we've talked about this before this uh, push to put Disney themed attractions into a pavilion, uh, usually setting around a movie that was set in that country or close enough to it <clears throat> frozen. But, um, and you know, obviously rescue is down under was set in Australia, but, this kind of made me remind, I'm kind of on the fence about that. Like, do you go that way? Do you put a rescuers down under just slow, I dark say ride emphatically and, no. And I say emphatically no as well. As I said, this is a chance to theme an attraction, whether it's, you know, boat ride or whatever it is that highlights the country itself and things you should know about it, rather than eh, the ride about a movie that does take place in the country, but doesn't really tell you anything about australia itself and its people and its culture and it's you know that kind of thing so um yeah and i i did there were a few countries i on the list that had there's a disney tie-in if you want it but i want to try and stay away from that until five years later when we decide yeah let's put it in there what the heck, so. and to but, be clear i have no i have no issue at all with the disney ip tie-ins i think there are some <laughs> cases and places that it is appropriate i certainly think it helps to draw younger guests into countries that they might not go or have gone into otherwise australia is one i don't necessarily agree with i I think australia um could would and at one point almost you know was going to be there again going back to the early 80s um australia was was technically a planned expansion um, and actually one of the most expansive expansions. Dick Nunes wrote an entire article, uh, a portion of an article about it back in the old eyes and ears magazine, which was a cast member newspaper back in the early eighties talking about how there was this blue sky dream to create this lagoon behind American adventure on the South side of world showcase. And there would be not one, not two, but five good building sites there there'd be a a hotel in the australia pavilion uh, right so if you're in the hotel you're there you go you're in australia already and you could actually take a cruise like from the world showcase lagoon over to australia and some of the other south seas and other 
pavilions. It served a number of masters because it also created an additional hotel space. But I think, you know, look, Australia is unique for many reasons. Um, You know, we've seen it featured at the Food and Wine Festival throughout um, some of the years. But I think it absolutely can and maybe should have. This was on my list. It should have a a, a permanent location and world showcase. And, And you think about things like the Sydney Opera House as being sort of the obvious um, iconic landmark, which I, which I think would give it a very distinctive look from any of the other areas in Epcot. And again, as I start to think even positioning in those four to six, possibly eight different tracks of land around World Showcase that you can put it, how it might look set against some of those other different backdrops. And I think Australia is once again unique too because it's it's not only its own country, it's its own continent. And it's an entire area of the world that really is not represented in World Showcase. Like if you think geographically, what is the countries that are in World Showcase that are closest to Australia? If my geography is somewhat correct, it's maybe China, which... It's obviously so. very different yeah. than uh, than Australia. But I also think, too, Tim, I think that there's an aspect of Australia that would absolutely need to be represented. And it's not just, you know, places like Sydney, but it's the indigenous people. It's the Aboriginal people that and some of the right. you know, amazing, you know, rock art and think about some of the walk through cave experiences that you can do sort of going into the Australian outback, um, that could be something that's unlike anything attraction or walkthrough or, or, um, you know, show wise um, that we've seen. And no, I'm not saying to connect it to finding Nemo and the East Australian current. There's (laughs) an obvious tie in right there. No, there's no tie in. Um, I, I think I would rather see, Australian outback and the indigenous people of Australia, as opposed to a finding, <laughs> a finding right. Nemo. Well, connection. that's what I meant. Like there's an obvious, like if you want to make a Disney connection, and I, I didn't say that one first, but Sydney opera house and Nemo. Yeah, you could do that, but I'm with you. I'd, I would rather do the, the way you described it, do an attraction and, and present the pavilion that way. So we can, again, get a glimpse into the, Aspects of Australia we might not be familiar with instead of you know, that little fish that we are familiar with. Then he happened to swim in, you know, to Australian Wallaby Way and all that. But uh, but that's what I mean. Like take take it beyond uh, the thing the things we know about Australia. Uh, you know, maybe the cliches we know about Australia. But you know, let's dig a little deeper and like all the stuff he mentioned because that would be really cool to see. This is stuff you don't know about. Right. So. Um, all right. So so moving forward, because we have obviously a lot to get to, and I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go relatively quickly because I want to sort of yeah, plant should, the seed. Should, and you said you used one of mine, so I'm only down to two. Anyway. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and, and I'm all over the place, Tim, in terms of next one, because it, it, I, I straddle between personal preference of what I'd like to see, what I think might make the most sense. Um, in terms of guest satisfiers, guest attractors, uh, appealing to um, the 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 people from that country, uh, you know, th- there's a lot of different things. 
Okay, I'm. I was gonna say <laughs> one, but I'm gonna go in a completely different direction. I'm gonna say India. Please, right? oh, man. Well, come on. We knew it was. We knew it's on your list. All right. Well, that's. No, I that's, could, <laughs> good, I, that's that's a that's a should be one too. I think it should right because and look, it's been rumored for since day one, right? In the rumors of and and I think over the past number of decades, as the Indian population in the United States has grown, speculation has also increased. Again, I am not connecting it to the Jungle Book or any sort of an <laughs> e-ticket attraction about the film, certainly purely for the food, like alone. But think of, again, the, the iconography that, that's there, um, the Taj Mahal, you know, the most probably one of the most recognizable buildings in the entire world but there is such incredible architecture in some of like the holy cities of varanasi is is you've probably seen it in movies um there's the golden temple of amritsar Uh, again all places that you might not have ever been to but india has such an amazing long history uh, there's there's an era an aura of 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 mystery about it as well, but there's also a sense of familiarity, right? Um, you know, whether it's because of of tourism to you know places like you know Mumbai or, or whatever it is, um, but because of the Indian population here, the the prominence of of Indian culture and cuisine, it's made I know me much more interested in wanting to go and see what it's like in that country and probably a world showcase pavilion would be the closest i I may ever get it's it's a little warm there it's a little warm in florida Florida so what's the difference no you you thought florida was bad (laughs) listen i've also been to the philippines and if you think florida's hot the philippines says hold my humidity so never mind (laughs) um now I, I eat India too, and I think one of the real great opportunities for there, uh, so as opposed to uh, Iceland or some smaller countries I might think of, um, I know like India, not unlike oh China, um, and even Canada, I guess it's so big and so diverse in different areas and different within the country even different cultures and stuff like there's like like they do with china and canada it seems like that's a great opportunity like for a film or something or some way to take you quickly around and just give you a taste of all the different aspects there are to this country they have a lot to do with the long history it's had as well so um you know like i kind of i do well like china and canada just keep coming back to they talk a lot about the rich history and the long history, especially with China that they have, but also contrast that to modern China or modern Canada. And you can do the same with India. Like um, you can talk about the traditions going back or not traditions, the, the culture going back to uh, like the Taj Mahal, which was built in the 1600s and stuff. But today you have, um, you know, you have Bollywood and and Indian music, and you can talk about how that, um, like the little taste we know of it from, 
you know, paint it black or whatever, but um, there's so much uh, to the music even that's different from what we know in like Western music, like same with Japan and China and their music. There's so much to discover there, but, and again, there's a lot about modern Indian fun. So there's a great, there's so much to, there's a whole tapestry of culture to be uh, discovered there. And that's not even talking about the food, as you said, which is a whole, Thing. It could be a whole separate show. So yeah, tandoori chicken. That's all I know. So what's next but, uh, on? So what will be oh, next on your list? Uh, well, this this it's gonna be my last one. I got some. Well, I have something I wanted to talk about before, but I'll do my last country. Um, this, this seemed like a no brainer too, and it was uh, Greece. Yeah, of course. And I think more. And this is one very much uh, like Egypt, I think, in in, in larger sense. Um, you you know, you can learn a little bit about modern Greece today and so forth, but Greece's importance in history and in human history is, you know, right up there with Egypt. Um, and I think that's where you can start with this pavilion. It would be, you know, the, the architecture of Greece, which we all know from, uh, you know, the Acropolis of Athens to the Parthenon, those, I wait, you could say iconic columns. And I think that's really the right word, right? Is that right? <laughs> I don't know. So, um, but again, so much that we already sort of know, but can be represented. And, you know, if you had a, you know, somehow a replica of the Parthenon or something on a smaller scale, like the Eiffel Tower or whatever, that would be very distinct, you know, iconic central piece to the pavilion. But, uh, certainly the food we all know. I mean, the Greece pavilion in the food and wine festival is one of my must go to's. Cause I love, I still don't know how to pronounce it. I think it's Spanakopita. Is that right? Spanakopita. Spanakopita. I was way off, but I, <laughs> that's one of my favorite, my favorite foods and the Greek salad with the feta cheese and the gyros, which I probably don't even say that right. But, um, <laughs> You know, so there's a great opportunity for food there. But I think with Greece, I think it'd be important to showcase or a great opportunity to showcase its history because it really is the history of human civilization to a degree because a lot, you know, came from that area. And you can go all the way back to the mythology uh, and talk about that because we still know about it. So I think it'd be good to talk about it and maybe learn some aspects of it that we don't know, you know, like we know Zeus and all of that. And this is actually one where I would very much be no, no, no. If they, if there was a thought of let's, Oh, we could tie in a Hercules attraction here. Cause Hercules, Hercules, Hercules. Yeah. <laughs> oh well, yeah. yeah. Why don't we go that way? But uh, no, to which I say no. And I don't think that would happen, but it's, loosely based on the greek mythology but hercules i think was the roman god and her her heracles was the germ or the, germ, the greek equivalent although zeus is in the movie and all that but um if i recall correctly i don't think the greek uh the country of greece actually was very enamored with the film and how as so often happens when you're trying to do a a film or anything based on another culture, you tend to cherry pick the cliches and go with that. Um, and I'm not trying to 
say one way or the other of uh, the merits of Hercules as a film or not. But um, to me, this is a classic example of where um, somebody might rush to make that connection and not think much about it and put it in there. But there's so much you want to you want to have Greece represented by so much more than the couple cliches that we already know about. So let's take the opportunity and dive deeper and let's let's talk about Euclid and Archimedes and Pythagoras and maybe maybe there's like a maybe the triangle is the centerpiece. <laughs> I have the, a theorem the, about Pythagoras or something. <laughs> you do? I'm very interested, you know, in hearing you're, you're, I was trying to make a square joke, but it wasn't coming off right. So, but you know what I mean. But like again, like, taking from Spaceship Earth that scene, one of my favorites, the Greece scene, the uh, class outside, and they're talking about math and all that. Um, I think that would be a night nice, aspect you could really talk about and get into and do a lot with, and the, and and the mythology. But remember the birth of math and science and all that kind of stuff. So. Under a starry nighttime sky. So. Greece undoubtedly was very, very high on my list. It, again, is one that almost seems obvious for a variety of reasons. However, while I do think about the Parthenon, the Acropolis, I, I look deeper, right? I think if, if you think about Greece in a much broader spectrum, it's not only incredibly important for its historical site but you know greece is made up of literally thousands of islands for i mean i think it literally is up to it's like six thousand islands like there's a lot and i think showcasing some of the natural beauty as well as the archaeological importance right think about the blue water and that Mm-hmm. An incredible Mediterranean climate and Santorini and Mykonos and, and Crete are some of the places that you. So, again, like Egypt, there is, you know, historical, there's ancient Greece. And I think that there's there's modern Greece as well. Um, you know, the Acropolis, um, you know, museum is this incredibly modern structure, um, you know, against the backdrop of the ancient Acropolis. We've seen pick, Santorini is a place that I would love to go and visit because it's it's incredibly dramatic with, you know, this, this cliff-top type town. So I think that there's the opportunity to expand our knowledge and interest in Greece beyond the places that, you know, those top three places that you see in every tourist guide or, or every movie that you'd need to go and see um, and, and learn a little bit more to, to dig a little deeper uh, as Mala Odi would say. Um, I'm not going to even bother <laughs> going into the food because I'm with you hundred percent. Greece is represented every year at the Food and Wine Festival, um, a lot of, you know, like you said, the, the heroes and the baklava and the moussaka and the tzatziki. Heroes, that's what I meant to say. Yeah, I mean, they're there. They're always very popular. And I think it would make perfect sense. And again, thinking about the layout of World Showcase and some of the locations that you can put something like a Parthenon or Acropolis and where it would sit, you know, in some of those different locations um, would be a, a, a beautiful that visual weenie that that Walt um, always had talked about. So, um, absolutely on my list. Um, 
you know, I, there, there, there again, I'm, there are so many of the obvious ones that, um, well, look, I, I think we should probably hit them because we're going to hit them eventually. I think it's fascinating um, and and I don't want to say disturbing, like, but it's 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 disturbing. unbelievable that World Showcase has zero count them zero mm-hmm. South American nations. Yeah. And I was wondering. <laughs> and, and, and so yeah. the the names and we could almost sort of wrap these two into a, into a singular discussion. Um, the first one that came to mind for me is Peru, and obviously Brazil is one that continues to come up time and time again. Let's sort of take them individually and then discuss them collectively. I think Peru again not talking about Emperor's New Groove, um, not at all. But <laughs> but see, right? That's what. We're, but that's what we're Peru. You know, one of the places I've always wanted to visit, not just for the aliens, is, you know, places <laughs> like Machu Picchu. Um, yeah. But there's there's more to that. Again, there's that modern Peru with beautiful Peruvian music and dancing, um, the, the incredible um, handcrafted artwork and alpaca wool and, and think about like Peruvian weavers like on the promenade. Um, the landscape of Peru, um, I think, would lend itself to an incredible uh, attraction. And then having the Inca city. Look, I, you know, I, I will probably never get to go and see something that I want to sort of see and touch with my own eyes and hands, which is the Nazca lines, right? Or the ruins in the sacred Valley. Like those are places I'll probably never get to Machu Picchu. Well, then again, adventures by Disney, I believe does one. I'm going to put that on the list, but you know, (laughs) it's one of those places that I think is just full of literal and figurative architectural treasures um that i would love to go and see and and understand more again one that has been rumored for some time has been peru right behind it or right next to it recently right in front of it has been brazil again this this lack of representation of south american countries brazil makes a lot of sense for a lot of people not just because of the very large influx of brazilian tourism to the United States, specifically Orlando and, and places like Miami, but imagine what, you know, this this carnival could look like and the landscapes and the mountains and learning about, again, this idea of Disney and conservation, learning about the Amazon rainforest and these, you know, 17th century buildings. I mean, there's a lot that you can do there was um, obviously there have been rumors for years of a and there was actually concept art of a gondola ride like system. Think Peter Pan's flight, right? We were sort of hanging from an overhead beam. There was concept art for a Brazilian pavilion using that system. Um, it is one that that continues to be um, brought up all the time. Um you know, I would not necessarily believe sites that say it's definitely coming and they're building and they're announcing because yeah. until it comes from Disney, it's not actually happening. Um, you know, in terms of of icons, I don't know, right? So Christ the Redeemer statue, maybe for a lot of people, what comes to mind. Obviously, I think there's there's the religious connotation of that statue 
might not be one that would be um, as, you know, accepted or welcome um, and, and inclusive to have that. But I still I don't necessarily think that you need that. Right. You, you don't need a pyramid. You don't need this huge structure in order for I mean, think of some of the other pavilions in World Showcase that don't have these dominating structures. UK is one, right? Even even France, other than the Eiffel Tower, there's no sort of dominating structure that has to sort of do it. You, you have the opportunity to incorporate the landscape and the mountains and the architecture and, and some of the natural elements of Brazil. Um, and again, I think there's a, there's, a, there's a really, there's a great opportunity for a conservation message as well but yeah again you know we for a lot of of americans our our interaction with brazil has been you know getting to see or maybe even meet you know maybe brazilian tourists that come here or a lot of brazilians are are you know have vacation uh homes here it's a great way to sort of almost have that cultural exchange and learn more about the people and their oh so very delicious food i couldn't help it i couldn't help it <laughs> There's got to be a Caipirinha bar somewhere and just a permanent Brazilian cheese bread cart um, because oh Brazil in during the Food Wine Festival remains one of my favorite places every single year. Oh, dear. See, I knew. A, Bra- <gasps> a Brazilian steakhouse. <gasps> Oy, this, oh, you're taking I'm, me. I'm trying to learn a little bit of Portuguese here. I can say bom dia and that's about obrigado, I believe means thank you and more cheese bread, please, are the only things I know how to say in Portuguese. Well, you're learning the importance. Though. I'm trying. Um, I also don't, just as a quick aside, I again, yeah. politics aside, I, I think um, Colombia could be another South American country that, mm-hmm. again, has such an incredible history there. And that's only about what I'm speaking. Um, rich history, um, uh, wonderful food, beautiful architecture, um, archaeological importance for from the country as well. Um, there has to be, you know, the, the, the takeaway is there needs to be, and I think there will be, um, some South American representation coming to um, uh, World Showcase um, sooner rather than later. Look, Venezuela was a done deal um, back in, in the mid 70s i think like 75 76 um they had concept art in the annual report for walt disney Productions saying you know we're gonna have an african pavilion we're gonna have a scandinavian pavilion and oh just so you know we've been talking to venezuela and you know these extra you know seven or eight sites are going to fill up quickly and this too was going to have this aerial sort of tram ride through the tropical rainforest and they were going to have a restaurant that was going to be built around this huge waterfall. I mean, the Venezuelan plane was also very much in flight. In flight. Literally and figuratively. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so was Costa Rica, by the way. Costa Rica was another one that Marty Sklar worked on and uh, was supposed to be a, a you know, a, one of these, it's definitely coming um, to World Showcase. Mm-hmm. And yet when? here we are. And then yet here we are. I thought, well, since we ran through all of mine, I thought we'd take a walk down 
you did a little history for us. So I thought I'd do a little history too, because I did experience this. I th- and I thought that when I was thinking of countries to have in these proposed pavilions, I was remembering that some of these sort of were already in Epcot at one point during the millennium. And I thought it'd be fun to go through the countries that did make it to the millennium village. Um, and could remind, you know, everybody, cause this was a nice walk down memory lanes. I remember, Oh, that's right. They had that and that and that. Um, so we could talk about that. Maybe out of these, you know, Brazil and Brazil was in there, but you know, maybe one or two of these pop up as, Oh yeah, that one. So wait, can I, can I, in other just- words, before we, before we go back, can I quickly yeah. just add you want to a do couple another? of more? Yes. I'll go through them quickly. I'll go through them yes. quickly. Yes. Um, and, and there might be a little bit of, of overlap, so it'll be a nice segue. Yeah. Um, we've talked about it before. Again, I'm I continuing to include my disclaimers. This has nothing to do with politics or anything else. Uh, Russia has been yes. one that was not only... Uh, planned at one point, but continues to be um, discussed as a possible addition to World Showcase. Um, again, going back to the 90s, um, Eisner pretty much announced that uh, it a Soviet Union pavilion was in the works and it was going to be located between China and Germany. And it was going to be this this uh, dominated by this representation of Red Square. And they would have had other buildings that would have had a, a sled like ride with showing like taking you through the Russian landscape that would have been based on Russian folktales. They would have had audio animatronics and live actors that would talk about Russia's history. But then you again, you'd sort of be you'd, you'd have it sort of marqueed by these. Um, you know that, those onion-style domes of uh, Saint Basil's, Saint Basil's Cathedral. Um, the attraction was going to be called Russia: The Bells of Change, um, with animated sets and audio animatronics. There was also going to be a, a ride-through based on Ivan and the Magic Pike. Uh, obviously, due to the breakup of the Soviet Union in '91, uh, bad economy, no funding, lots of different reasons, it never came. But I still believe um, that there is a, 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 an opportunity to take all of those aspects, right? The folklore, the folk tales, the cathedral, Red Square, the attraction ideas, and bring that in and, again, introduce us to a, a country that, you know, for a lot of people is very much shrouded in mystery um, and, and would be a good learning opportunity um the other i'll i'll mention very quickly um i i think um i think south korea could actually be an interesting addition south korea um again same thing right i tried tim i tried to think about places that have that wonderful mix of history and nature and beauty and you know, rural and modern. And you think about, you know, Seoul versus some of the fishing villages. And I think that that interesting juxtaposition of what we know or don't know about these places and the cultures could be absolutely fascinating. Um, And I know probably about 10 years or so ago, 
um, there was um, a Korean legislator who really was trying to lobby Disney to get a South Korea pavilion um, in World Showcase. And again, for a lot of the, the same reasons, both financial um, and otherwise. And I think there was also, again, I think from Disney's point of view, there has to be um, enough of an attractor for guests for the pavilion to make sense. And maybe at the time, South Korea might not have been it. If you if you explore it today, that might be it might be different, uh, might be something that um, certainly would be be more interesting. Again, not just for the food alone, but again, just from a, uh, a cultural. I've seen you at the Korean. Um... Listen, I dig me yeah, some Korean barbecue. I'm just saying I- I'm not. Um, I- That's OK. Yeah. It's OK. Um, and I think Spain is another one, too. Again, Spain. Yeah, we know, I wondered about. Yeah, it was supposed like to a... be there. Um, Spain was yeah. was going to be located near Germany. There was billboards on the, the promenade back in 85, 86. It was going to have this. Uh, Mexico style boat ride and and this idea of sort of discovering not just Barcelona and Madrid but Segovia a tapas style restaurant that didn't happen I think there's an opportunity for again beautiful plazas amazing artwork and fountains and tiles and cheese and chorizo and etc 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 sort of that indoor outdoor seating and tapas and paella and sangria and flamenco dancers there's lots of reasons why spain could have would have and still should have joined uh world showcase um i actually found myself same reasons you were talking about south america being i I granted morocco is there but i was i didn't get to a conclusion i was trying to think of a, a country from africa that could well, Ep- I mean, we know Ep- short, short of the African outpost being kind of a catch-all, right? And and I know we've talked about this, and and I'll try and I, I know I did a show. Equatorial Africa was going to be, for all intents and purposes, the cornerstone, literally and figuratively, of World Showcase. So where Village Traders is now, in between China and Germany, there are two. Uh, pads for two individual countries that was going to be an entire equatorial africa place like danny Kay and alex haley like the roots guy they promised that a year from now this scale model that they were showing was going to be built and it really was the one that was farthest along in the planning and there was going to be like this 60 foot tall treehouse and this watering hole and african jungle and heartbeat of africa show and Again, same problems, money, sponsorship. How do you, the, the, one of the biggest issues is how do you represent quote unquote Africa, right? How do you represent the entire conf- continent where so many of the countries are so different from one another? You can't sort of have an accurate representation, forgetting the fact that there were, you know, political infighting and all these different <laughs> things that were um, um, hindering its being built. But you know, and now with the opening of Disney's Animal Kingdom and the Africa section there, will that ever happen? Possibly no, but I still think that you're right. There are African countries, individual African countries that could be represented there. Well, I think, and I didn't uh, pick one necessarily, but I know, um, not even for this, and just before as I 
for whatever reason, would be looking at. You know, I'm on Wikipedia and start looking at these countries and stuff. Um, I know there's a lot in Africa, even to this day. I think a lot of people don't know about you know, and we know. I mean, we know Morocco from the pavilion, but um, I find myself surprised. Like I look at some of these countries, and I I can't even name most of them, but um, but you know, you look in and you have. Uh, you know what what world showcase is all about like we we have a preconception of what we think a country is or you know what they are and, it, and even that's very broad brush strokes and stuff but you know if you look into a lot of these countries are not what you think they are you know there's a lot more uh i say this nicely like um you know maybe they're more modern than you might think maybe that's one way to say it or the um uh, you know, whatever preconceptions you have about a lot of the countries and, oh, like the interior of Africa and that sort of thing. And again, there, like you said, there are, there are realities of what's going on and stuff, but there's also a lot of wonderful things going on in wonderful cities and wonderful people that we just don't know about here because we're very, um, like that's one part of the world that's, we don't know a lot about, just I guess by nature of, of uh what it like versus Europe and uh, you know other places that are more news. I'm really going down a rabbit hole here, Lou. Help <laughs> right. me out, but you know, you know, what I'm trying to say like there's a lot we don't know about Africa that would be really nice to see, and um, um, and it's beyond even like Africa in the animal kingdom. You know, we see that version of it, but um. I think for like in the, again, like China and some other countries that are already won world showcase, one of the things you discover when you go in there, uh, like in, like in China's case, you see the Lotus uh, pond and you see the, the temples and all that, like things, you know, already, but when you're watching the film, you, you get to glimpse into uh, different aspects of the city's, and of the various cultures and things that, you know, first time you see it, you go, well, I, I didn't know that was part of China or that was part of their culture. That's cool. Like, and that's the whole point is to trying to learn more about the people and um, their way of life and traditions, whether they're historical or modern day, you know, and that sort of thing. So, yeah. Yeah, Africa is, is interesting because, you know, the different sub-regions um, and even the individual countries could all be represented very, very differently, right? Yeah. Nigeria and Egypt and Kenya and Morocco and Madagascar are all very different places, right? So it's hard to, right. again, that, that, that was part of um, the the... The, the challenge, right? Even they sort of had this show that was going to be called the heartbeat of Africa. And then how do you do that? How do you represent the heartbeat of such a diversified a continent? Continent, right. You, you just, yeah, you unfortunately, yeah, you, you can't do it. Yeah. It's, um, it's probably not fair to try and think you can represent the whole continent with a couple of brushstrokes and we're done because there is so much. Tim, that even happens, I think, with individual countries, too. I mean, sure. they, that, that's yeah. part of, you know, the issue. So, for example, one of 
the second of the three countries that was supposed to be included as part of phase two was going to be Israel, right? Yeah. The, and, and this, too, had a sign on – it was coming next year, like it was going to be Israel – and it was going to be this um, um, this ruins of like an ancient minaret, and there was going to be an information center there, and marketplaces, and olive and cypress trees, and this giant menorah in as the centerpiece. And it was designed thinking of ancient Jerusalem in mind, right? And they were going to have you know classical music, and they they ran into a variety of issues. Lack of sponsorship and lack of money was. I don't want to say the least of, of the problems, but there was a lot of just inherent problems with how do you properly represent, you know, Israel. Yeah. Although that does bring me around to the Epcot Millennium Village because, um, and I thought, you know, it'd be fun to take a spin through what it was because some of these could be candidates for a future pavilion. But it's curious that they they were sort of mini pavilions back in the day. So, um, and I don't know how many listeners out there got the chance to see the millennium village because gosh, it's 20 years ago. So, um, but I remember, well, that for the few who don't know, that's what was in that big building you mentioned earlier. That's what it was for. Um, and, and again, taking this quick spin through it, these were countries and they had smaller pavilions within the millennium village for the millennium celebration. Um, which aren't there anymore. Brazil was one of them, um, curiously enough, and uh, got to see the Amazon rainforest. You got to hear the sounds that he did. Uh, they still do. I've been there in a long time. The Rafiki's plan to watch it. They still have the uh, go inside and hear the sounds of nature around you that that exhibit. I hope it's still there. It was fun, but it's something like that. Chile was there as a representative of South America and Easter Island and so forth and, and israel you just mentioned did have a pavilion with a simulator ride the time elevator <laughs> which <laughs> i thought was quite fun but uh but it was it was interesting because there's a lot of history to be seen and um and they showcased all of that saudi arabia another country that um you know there's a lot there like i think the middle east also as a region um not really well represented um but but could be and there's a lot there's a lot of uh, history there i mean the cradle of civilization goes back there so um scotland and sweden are also there that kind of mm. rounds it out and they were curious because um i mean they were fun i mean you got to play you got to play miniature golf in scotland that was fun and sweden had these four of these giant eggs like almost 30 feet um, little uh, little terrariums, I guess, representing all the four scenes in Sweden. And the one had a snowman in it. It was awesome. It was great. Um, but Scotland and Sweden were kind of curious because I was when I was thinking of countries, I kept thinking of European countries. And I, I know, like, even today in World Showcase, there's a lot of European countries in there. Um, and, and for good reason. There's a lot of diverse interesting wonderful cultures there but it's funny that very concentrated section of the world got well no count of honey pavilions there are france uk germany italy you know do we need scotland do we need sweden do we need austria do we need 
Luxembourg, the Netherlands. You know, there's so well, many you could add in there. Sweden was almost Sweden was another one that was almost there, too. Right? Yeah. I, and I think some of these maybe were there for whatever reason. But a lot of these, I think, had, you know, were on that maybe that go to or the perhaps list back in the day, too. So they're always kind of swimming around. Like, like I said, Brazil was in there and they're. Now well, the, Sweden was a I, done deal. Like pre Norway, remember Norway was an add-on, right? Before right. Norway, back in the early '80s, um, there was a deal for what was going to be called the Scandinavian Showcase, and Claude Coates, legendary Imagineer, uh, actually worked on the project project like for a number of months, and it was going to combine the cultures of Sweden and Norway and Denmark. So, if you think you know Norway is big now. The Scandinavian uh, showcase says, hold my lunafisk, and it was going to be located between France and the UK. And the idea was that it was going to open by 87. Again, finance um, and and disagreement on concept that would have appealed to all the nations equally is what led it to fall away. Yeah. Um, and one left I didn't mention. It, it, the aforementioned nation of Africa that we can represent. And I, I honestly, I, I do apologize. I don't know how to pronounce this. Do you know which country I'm talking about? Eritrea. 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 Yeah. I don't, I don't know how to pronounce that. I, I don't. And forgive me if it's Eritrea. I, I don't know either. I uh, actually have <laughs> it. I was looking up how to pronounce it, but it's like, click here to listen. And I, didn't <laughs> yes, wanna, right. I didn't want to interrupt you. With that, so uh, many apologize because I'm sure I'm saying that wrong, but, but they had a, a pavilion in, in the millennium village and uh, uh, lots, lots of coffee to be found in there. But, um, uh, but that was fun. It was nice to see. Um, and maybe that's one way you do this um, going forward. Uh, if, if we can't have, for like you know some of these pavilions like in australia or somebody you would think the countries are big enough and would be able to support something like that uh you know but the smaller countries something mentioned like like iceland and some of these smaller ones if they if not a full pavilion maybe one day we'll have another uh well, not Millennium Village, because that's a long way off the next one, <laughs> but a similar kind of thing where we have, you know, a smaller uh, showcase of other countries that maybe they can't have a big pavilion, but they could have a presence there. And that was actually pretty fun to go through because um, in a short space, you got to see a lot of meet a lot of people and see a lot of different things. And it was it was pretty cool. I will. I'll give you a little personal story because this is the last thing I got before you do your 50 three Arnold mentions, but I might've mentioned this before, but I remember um, during the celebration as in today, you get a passport, you go around get your stamps and all. Uh, and uh, that year I took my daughter, Michelle around. She was, Oh wait, I can do the math. She was eight. Ha ha. And uh, it was Florida. So it's 98 really. And, you know, we're going around and we got to, I feel like I got the passport. I think we got to Japan uh, where we saw Mayuki, the candy lady, and she made my daughter cry accidentally. So it wasn't her fault. Still love her. But I was beat. And I asked, I asked Michelle, I said, are you done? Are you going to go back and swim? She goes, no, I got to finish my passport. So we did. Um, but dad had to go back the next day by himself to the Millennium Village 
and collect the rest of the stamps. So there I am asking all the cast members, will you sign my book for me? And they didn't think that was strange at all. So that was the most magical part about the whole thing. So, But that was a fun time. And that was an interesting way to showcase a lot of countries in one spot. And maybe that's something we do. Maybe it, it could be a revolving thing. Who knows? So, yeah, I mean, that's the beauty that's, of that's things. That's one way to deal with some of these uh, things that couldn't support a full pavilion, but they could do something like that, maybe. Right. I mean, you know, the, the food and wine, um, the other international festivals that are held in Epcot, mm-hmm. sometimes at least give us a peek into the cultures uh, just through their food. Um, I, I wish there was more. Look, there was a lot of there were a, a number of other countries that were planned that I would love to see added. Um I, you know, as we were doing this, I remember years and years ago, like I actually used to do a, I used to give like in-person tours of like the world showcase mm-hmm. that never was. And I'd stop at some of these places and I forgot one of the pavilions that was not only going to be one of the most beautiful architecturally, but was going to be the largest pavilion. Because again, notice now, unlike original concepts for these two circles that had the same area of frontage the pavilions in world showcase now vary in size the largest and possibly arguably one of the most beautiful was going to be iran oh and they were going to have this central pavilion and this sort of outdoor bazaar like mall and restaurants and this rick this this um like a recreation of this palace with this animated boat ride depicting Persian history and, and uh, recreation of uh, Persepolis, which was the, the capital of um, the empire back in 500 BC, whatever it was. And uh, the Shah at the time actually agreed to fund the project completely. And while it was in some of the final stages of approval, it actually got um, canceled for a few reasons, like the overthrow of the Shah of Iran and the financial backing and the little thing called the Iranian hostage crisis. So there was a lot of things that unfortunately, again, taking all those things out of the equation, some of the concept art and the the discussions for what it was going to look like were beautiful, right? And, and, And look, there was a lot of talk over the years of, a variety of different nations that were coming in a number of different Arab nations that were going to potentially come this, this, the Arab discussion of Arab nations goes back into the seventies when they were going to be um, when, when this was going to be built over by where the TTC is now Um, a Swiss pavilion was one that was talked about for a long time in the mid eighties really sort of, playing off this idea of an East Coast version of the Matterhorn bobsleds. Um, Disney started talking with Swiss officials in the mid-80s, and they were never, unfortunately, able to find a Swiss corporation that would underwrite the construction costs and the operational and maintenance costs of the attraction and the pavilion. Again, because it's expensive not just to build, but it's expensive to maintain as well. Um, the UAE, the United Arab Emirates, um, for a long time has been one that that was coming up, having this flying carpet ride, and I think it might have been 
Marty Sklar or, or one of the, there was actually a beautiful concept art of a potential UAE pavilion, um, a Philippines pavilion, which I, having been to the Philippines, uh, I would love to have seen. Uh, Claude Coates was a designer on that. And if you look, and I think it might even be in some of the Imagineering books, you can see some of his concept art for what a Philippine pavilion might be. Um, I'm not even going to start getting into what the potential for the food would be there. Um, and Puerto Rico was one that that for a little while was popping its head up as uh, another potential installation um, in in World Showcase. Um, I think we've probably mentioned every country on the planet. Um, Maybe. <laughs> but I... I, I was going to tell you real quick. I was When I started first doing this, I was going to be a wise guy. Well, at first I thought it was a good idea, but then I realized, no, that's stupid. I was going to say like Antarctica <laughs> and Asgard, <laughs> but then I thought, you know what? That's not the spirit of this. So there are those who seek the spirit of Asgard <laughs> too soon. Sorry. Sorry, Norway. Sakar, Sik- yeah. So Sakar, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. look, we're getting guardians of but the galaxy. So yeah, that's different though. And I realized that as soon as I thought that'd be fun. No, that's not, that's not in the spirit of this. Stop it now. But, you know, Tim, I think the thing that's interesting about the conversation is that, you know, for each of the places that we have talked about, um, they all they all present fascinating opportunities in terms of what we can see, what we can learn. But they all also present, you know, some of the real world challenges, uh, which is why it's not. You know, it's not as simple as it might sound to add an additional country to World Showcase. It's not just choosing the country and how it's represented. But, yeah, there are, you know, other aspects to it. Um, there is there is money. There is politics. There's representation in terms of, of how, um, how. Look, you know, even when the American Adventure Pavilion was being built, it was well, how do you represent such a diverse nation as America in a single pavilion because that colonial building does not necessarily accurately represent what the Southwest or the Pacific Northwest looks like. And that that's some of the struggles and challenges that you have whenever you start talking about bringing something new into World Showcase. Yeah. If you had to pick one, it's about the food. Yeah. If they had to take oh, ah. take money and politics and everything else out of the equation, give me the one country hmm. you would pick, and where would you put it? Man, you tell me there would be a there's there's always going to be a quiz. You know that quiz. Hmm. I'm looking back at the one. Which one? You know what? Greece. Yeah, I think Greece would be absolutely beautiful. I'm going to put it. What happened to the concept of a second ring of countries behind? That was a concept once, right? But well, that, right. So that that expansion of the World Showcase Lagoon and having additional countries. But um, I think wasn't there like they were going to do not not expanding the lagoon so there'd be more on the water, but just go behind the ones that are there and make another ring around, which wouldn't be fair, I guess. To the, Right. And, and you know, the idea of having will, the, you know, some of the 
concepts of, of what the origins of World Showcase were going to be and sort of having those rings that were going to be um, uh, not intertwined, but sort of facing each other with that courtyard, you know, it, 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 it makes sense on paper because it does give you the opportunity to have, you know, two dozen, however many countries right. potentially, but you do lose something because it almost would have a, a, an outdoor mall type of feel to it because you can't represent on the exterior some of the fantastic um, architecture and designs and, and real cultural representations of these countries. Well, I think I'll put it over by Germany. I was trying to think uh, if there's a wait. What's next? Today? Germany, <laughs> Germany, Italy. Italy, American Adventure, Morocco, France, UK. Between China. where's the the big space <laughs> next to Germany? Which In side? Between That's Germany what? and China, or village Germany and China. Like, right there's now, China. the only reason the only reason I'm thinking that because I'm I'm thinking of the um, the uh, Straits of Gibraltar. If I'm remembering this right, indication in the pavement. Between right in between France and Morocco, Morocco. And France, which is just cool. So I was trying to think: is there a place you could put it so you could do something cool like that? But never mind. No, we'll I, look, next to Germany. I think that you can. I, I you know, obviously there's some, there's little, land to be built on. It's yeah. you know, what do you choose? And and now you what? know how quickly do we think we might actually see something come to yeah, World yeah. Showcase? Uh, well, what's I, your I don't country know. of choice? You know, there, there's yeah. It wasn't a fair question. Now you know. So. Well, of course it's not a fair question. I mean, it's it's a it's a good question. But... I mean, it's a good question. What I think we think? should ask the listeners. <laughs> not a... There you are. Yeah. Look, I, I love the idea of Egypt. I love the idea of Greece. Um, I love the. I mean, I'm just gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna start naming you know them all all over again because there's different reasons why um, I, I would like any or all. But I think if it's, I think Egypt. And um, Egypt and Greece. And look, I, I think I would really love to see um, a South American country in mm-hmm. there, whether it be per- Peru, Brazil. I, I would love to see representation of a South American country in World Showcase. But what I'd also like to see is your answer. I'm talking to you, yes. our friend. What one country, unlimited budget, politics aside, would you like to see added to World Showcase? You can go as far, as wide, as deep as you would like in your explanation of what you'd like to see and where and what would it look like. You can either go to the WW Radio group on Facebook at www.radio.com slash community. I will post that question there. Better yet, I'd love for you to call the voicemail at 407-900-9391. That's 407-900-WDW1. You can sort of, you don't have to even worry about typing it out. Just sort of let me know. Let me hear the passion in your voice about what you'd like to see, where, when, why, how. Um, and if you want to throw in any of the potential food items as well, that wouldn't hurt. <laughs> well, that's the most important part. And then when you're done with that, you know what you're supposed Only to do Only when next? you're done that. Only when you're done with that. That's when they go over to celebrationspress.com because there's all kinds of good fun stuff going on there. So much stuff. You know what? We're we are two weeks away, Lou. From? From the summer issue of celebrations. Which is about I was to come gonna out. do my worst 
Olaf impression and start singing in summer, but nobody wants to hear that. You, I swear, every show you tease. You don't want it. Trust me, man. You don't want to hear me sing. You don't want me to try and cook Indian food. There's a lot of things you don't want want me to sing. You really, really want to sing because you bring it up every time. I I was going to sing, but but nobody wants to hear that. I think you want all of us. (laughs) You want all of us to come to you and say, yes, please, Lou, please sing for us, Lou. So please sing for us. No? No, I'm good. All right, whatever. So now the summer issue's coming out, putting final touches on it. We're going to have a feature on the Runaway Railway. Mary Poppins, and this one I'm I'm really excited about. Not just Journey into Imagination, but Figment. We're going to profile Figment. We sat him down. We interviewed him. All right, we did. But so uh, that's going to be fun. Um, And remind everybody, you can go to Celebrations Press. If you're not subscribed, you can subscribe now. Um, As a reminder, we're totally digital, which is very exciting now. Um, Lots more content. Uh, We have videos included now which you can't have on paper so they're in the video version of the magazine and um uh yeah so we have a lot of stuff i think we have a special running on for the entire digital library of back issues that you could have access to so yeah we have a lot of exciting things going on uh, plans for new books and new pins which i'll just leave as a teaser and we have more details coming on that but um uh, uh, yeah, summer issue is what we're very excited about coming up. So go check it out. Nice. I dig it. And I will, of course, link to celebrationspress.com. Timmy Foster, these are always a lot of fun. Um, I, I really love this because I think it gave us a great opportunity to look back at what was, what might have been, what is, and still what may come and play a little armchair Imagineer while we are at it. There are many, many more top tens that we have to cover. And of course, if you have an, not you, Tim, you, my friend, have an idea for a top 10, you can email me, lou at www.radio.com. And little Timmy Foster and I will definitely cover it on the show. Done. A Venezuela pavilion. Costa Rica. Costa Rica was another one. Think about Spain and the paella. The Brazilian cheese bread pavilion alone would you just, just want make the Brazilian bet. steakhouse and lie there. With uh, I would just, I would just waddle my little way out of there. Cheese bread, steakhouse, caprinas, carnival, like, have at it. It's always dinner time. You stopped recording. Now I did. Time for our Walt Disney World trivia question of the week, where I invite you to test your knowledge of Walt Disney World's history 
or see how well you pay attention to the details, sometimes what you see, hear, taste, remember. And if you think you know the answer, you can enter via our online form for a chance to win a Disney prize package. Of course, before we get to this week's question, we're going to go back, review last week's, and select our winner. So last week, we took you to the Disney MGM Studios, and I said that when the park opened in May 1989, it only had five attractions in operation. And the question last week was to tell me, what was the first new attraction that was added almost immediately after that date? Now, before I give you the correct answer, let's find out what those five attractions originally were. Of course, there was the great movie ride, that sentimental journey through the movies. Superstar Television gave guests a look into what a very hectic TV studio felt like. The Monster Sound Show allowed guests to add sound effects as if a movie was actually in production. There was also the magic of Disney animation, this wonderful walkthrough attraction where you could watch as animators were working at their desks on real animation for feature films. And of course, the backstage studio tour, if you remember Catastrophe Canyon, but there was also costuming, sound stages, set shops, backlots, post-production, a wonderful long attraction that really showed you how the magic of the movies was made. But the first attraction to open not long after the park opened in May actually opened on August 25th, 1989, and it was the Indiana Jones Epic Stunt Spectacular. Now, a lot of people thought it was Star Tours. That didn't open until December later on that year, but I took all the correct entries, randomly selected one, and again, you're playing for all of my digital products, which include my 102 Ways to Save Money for an at Walt Disney World book, my seven audio tours of the Magic Kingdoms, history, details, secrets, and stories. All those, by the way, are available on Amazon and Apple Music. I'm also going to send you a WW Radio vinyl sticker, a Magic Band cover, and a mystery prize. As I mentioned earlier, I am currently in the process of going through my closets and my garage and the years that I have of Disney and Star Wars collectibles and decided that it's time that there's not enough room to put them out and enjoy and display them here. So I want to share them with you. So every Sunday at 9 p.m. Eastern, I have new auctions up on eBay at www.radio.com slash eBay. They all have no reserve $1 starting bid and items vary from Walt Disney World theme park items dating back to the 70s, artwork, books, Disney collectibles, toys, Star Wars items, and lots more. Again, www.radio.com slash eBay. Every Sunday, they start and stop at 9 p.m. Eastern. Anyway, I took all the correct entries, randomly selected one, and last week's winner is Kieran James. So, Kieran, congratulations. I have your mailing address because you used the online form. I will get your prize package out to you right away. If you played last week and didn't win, that's okay, because here's your next chance to enter in this week's Walt Disney World Trivia Challenge. So this week's show had me thinking about World Showcase and Epcot Center and how they both really connected back to Walt's original vision for not just this community of tomorrow, but International Street and how Walt's imprint and ripple effect is still felt everywhere in the parks. So the question this week is going to be about Walt and his connection to a park that he unfortunately never saw completed. What in Walt Disney World is affectionately referred to as Walt's Last Laugh? Tell me what in Walt Disney World is affectionately known as Walt's Last Laugh. You have until Sunday, May 24th at 11.59 p.m. to go to www.radio.com, click on this week's podcast, use the online form there, 
Again, you'll play for the books, the audio tours, the vinyl sticker, the Magic Band cover, and another mystery item from my personal collection. And if you like these trivia questions, don't forget that on my Instagram stories, every single day I have daily Disney trivia. It's easy, fun, it takes just a couple of seconds to play, a really nice way to test your knowledge and maybe even learn something along the way. Again, I am at Instagram.com slash Lou So good luck and have fun. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you so very much for taking the time to tune in this and every week. I hope you had some fun, learned something new. Maybe it even brought a little bit of happiness and Disney magic to your day or week. Please don't forget to join the community in conversation. Talk not only about this week's show, but past episodes, Disney news, Marvel, Star Wars, or anything you'd like to chat about in our fun, family-friendly, very welcoming community. You can join over at www.com slash community. Also, please don't forget to join me every Wednesday night for WW Radio Live on Facebook, a live video broadcast and chat with you. Each week, we'll talk about what's new in the world of Disney, Marvel, and Star Wars news. I'll share my top five live, which is my own weekly top five list, and then I invite you to create your own list, share it, call in. We'll do some contests, play 20 questions, and lots more again every Wednesday, 7.30 p.m. Eastern at www.radiolive.com. And speaking of the community, which really is the heart of everything we do here, I want to thank everybody who is part of the WW Radio Nation family, including some new and longtime members. I sincerely appreciate your love and friendship and support and help, as well as being able to thank you and give back to you each and every month. I want to thank some new and longtime members like Greg Dykes, John Rowe, Steve LaRock, Sean B. Roberson, Greg Hauser, Joe Jackson, and Caleb Joshua Hill. Thank you so, so very much for your support and your help. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate it. And if you want to help find out how you can not only help the show, but get exclusive rewards every month, including monthly scavenger hunts and trivia contests, access to our private Facebook group, custom Magic Band covers, logo gear, care packages from Walt Disney World. Plus, for the past few years, every single month, we do exclusive live video group calls and lots more. You can visit www.radio.com support. Also, obviously, don't forget that while this is completely optional, it is a really important way to help support the show and show your support and that a portion of the proceeds of your optional contributions do go to our Dream Team project to benefit the Make-A-Wish Foundation of America. Thanks to you and all the members of the nation, we've raised more than $300,000 to help bring children with life-threatening illnesses and their families to Walt Disney World through the Make-A-Wish Foundation of America. Again, to find out more and show your support, visit www.radio.com support. And because this show is for, by, with, and about you, I'd love to hear from you. So if you have a question you want me to answer on the show, you can email me, lou at www.radio.com or call the voicemail at 407-900-9391. Please also make sure you visit our Facebook page at facebook.com slash www.radio. And you can connect with me on social. I am at Lou Mangello on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, and LinkedIn. And I always have been, I always will be a handshake and a hug kind of guy. And although, unfortunately, we still can't do our meet of the month in Walt Disney World as we have been for the past 13 years, our next virtual meet of the month is actually going to be moved to Sunday, May 31st at 8 p.m. I originally had it for the 24th. I remembered it was Memorial Day weekend. So I'll push it back to Sunday, May 31st, 8 p.m. It's going to take place online via a Zoom call 
To find out more and register, visit www.radio.com slash events. There you can also keep in touch with other events, not just virtually online, but things we have coming up for later this year and our Marvel Day at Sea cruise this coming January 2021. Now, I have been asked if my Momentum Weekend Workshop in October in Walt Disney World is still going to happen. As of right now, it is going to continue as planned for this October 17th and 18th. Again, it is a two-day weekend workshop to really help you turn what you love into what you do. To find out more, you can visit loumangelo.com. And while I understand, obviously, that travel is canceled and events are, are not happening, I still want to try and help you, even if it's virtually, to turn what you love into what you do, whether it's one-on-one coaching calls. We still have one spot left for our Tuesday night weekday mastermind limited to just six people. And I also offer virtual training and presentations about customer service, lessons from the Disney parks, social media, podcasting, live video, creating community, and lots more. Again, to find out more, you can visit loumangelo.com or just shoot me an email, lou at www.radio.com. Of course, thanks as always, as I have thanked for the past almost 13 years that we've worked together, the entire team over at Mouse Fan Travel as travel is starting to open up again please consider and go and visit our friends at Mouse Fan Travel. They are my official and recommended provider because it's who I've used for more than 13 years, whether you're going to world land or anywhere on this amazing planet of ours. Becky Mankin and the entire team of agents will be there to help you with any questions, problems, discounts, and the best possible prices available, all with an incredible level of personal service, which really is so very important, and it is their hallmark. Again, you can visit them over at mousefantravel.com. And as always, my friend, and you are my friend, whether we have met yet or not, uh, like I said, now more than ever, although we can't be together, I promise you that you are not alone, and by virtue of you being here, you are part of the community, you're part of my extended family, and all I ask is that if you like the show, Please help spread the word. Let others know about it, whether it's tweeting out that you're listening, sharing a link to this or your favorite episode on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. And if you can, take just 30 seconds to rate and review the show over an Apple podcast. It's a huge, huge help. I want to thank some recent reviewers like Disney Fan 1974 who says, It's a great podcast, very entertaining, full of past, present, and future information. I look forward to the weekly trivia. Still hoping to meet Lou in the future. Thank you for building the clubhouse. The Big Dabroni 69 says it's the best Disney podcast. My fiance and I are lucky enough to be planning a Walt Disney World honeymoon. Congratulations. And Lou and his awesome guests have done so much to help us prepare for our dream trip. Lou radiates a friendly and welcoming atmosphere, and his opinion is truly wonderful, especially the food recommendations. He answered a ha-ha. I know that I'll continue to listen to the podcast long after our honeymoon and hope to one day travel to Walt Disney World with the WW Radio gang. Mac3187 says the best podcast ever lose the best his reviews and experience with disney cannot be compared to anyone else wow thank you alexandria spire says i can't get enough of lou i've been listening to ww radio for years and as the highlight of my week lou's very informative with all things disney whether it's attractions history and of course the food it's definitely the best disney podcast always positive and uplifting and it feels like i'm there in every review conversation and interview exactly how i want you to feel being from a small town it can feel Like you're the only Disney fanatic, but since I've discovered an entire family that loves Disney as much as the next person, keep up the good work, Lou. 
Definitely hope to make it to one of the meets of the month soon, especially since I'm an annual pass holder. Congratulations. Love, love, love. Love right back at you. Uh, Alexandria, Mac, Big Jabroni, and Disney Fan 1974. I appreciate you and everybody who's left a review. Again, just search for WW Radio in Apple Podcasts, or if you go to www.radio.com slash iTunes, it'll show you exactly how and where to go about doing it. Finally, most importantly, thank you, thank you, thank you. I love, I appreciate you. I miss you. I miss you. I miss seeing you in Walt Disney World. I miss meets of the month. I miss the face-to-face and the handshakes and the hugs. And I cannot wait until we get back to some semblance of normalcy in the parks and cruise lines. And I hope that while we are all missing Disney and and missing a lot of that that normalcy that I and the show and the community hopefully just make your day or your week a little bit happier maybe even inspire you to do something new to follow that dream to be better at whatever it is um I think that people I think inherently we just we want and we crave good news and I hope that that's what this show and the live show and the community bring you um, and I hope that you like me choose the good um, look for and find the good in everything you do and everyone that you meet um, and I hope that you are staying safe I hope that you are staying positive um, and staying well and I hope that I get a chance to see you um, for the first time or for the next time really soon until then I will look for you in the community in the clubhouse at www.radio.com slash community and on social so until next time see ya hi Lou it's Elizabeth from Massachusetts I'm just giving you a call I just finished listening to your most recent podcast about um, listener email with Becky and it was honestly just a really good distraction and it was um, everything I needed I love when you guys do those they're one of my favorite types of episodes you do um, but to answer your question uh, my favorite value resort I agree I think art of animation hands down is offers the most but I weirdly had an extraordinary experience with cast members specifically at um, all-star music so I have to give that place a shout out they were awesome this past um, winter break that I was there just with um, our luggage got kind of, like, lost when we were going from one resort to another. And every time I interacted with anyone from there, they were just amazing. So I'm going to give them a shout-out, too. But um, my favorite moderate is Riverside. That's where me and my family spent our one of our first Christmases when we started going down for Christmas there. So Riverside, for those reasons, is my favorite moderate. And uh, my favorite deluxe is Animal Kingdom Lodge. i got to go and agree with Becky here. Um, they, it's, it's the food, the atmosphere, all of it is just awesome. I wish that right now I could do, or more than anything, I wish I could just wake up and look out on the savannah, have a cup of coffee, and um, enjoy it there. So, yeah, those are my favorite value, moderate, and deluxe resorts. Um, I also wanted to just mention that I think it's so exciting that the Shanghai Resort is officially open. Um, I think it's weird, though. I saw someone, I wish I remembered who it was, so I could give them credit, but they posted about it and how it just didn't feel the same because of the way it was all blocked off and how people had to keep away from each other. So I really just can't wait till we can all kind of go back to normal whenever that will be. I just think that, you know, Disney won't be the same until all the people who make it what it is can be in there hugging Mickey and Minnie, 
um, being close to each other on a ride and doing all the normal things that we're used to doing. So I'm so excited that things are going to start to fully reopen, but I don't know. It just kind of feels bittersweet. So I hope everyone is staying safe and healthy. Sorry for this kind of long message, and I'll see you later. Hey, Lou and everybody in the WDW radio family. Uh, this is Beth in Brooklyn, and um, just calling in on my socially distanced walks. I've managed to uh, finish up the Animal Kingdom um, podcasts and uh, the other podcasts that have gone on since then. And um, anyway, yeah, Animal Kingdom is absolutely my favorite park. Um, and Pandora is absolutely my favorite section. And actually, like, listening to the podcast got me um, to put in Avatar, which has always been one of my favorite movies, and was, like, literally physically aching to go back. And I was supposed to have gone this summer over my birthday and decided to cancel, changed it to a cruise, which I'm still waiting for Celebrity to cancel, but we'll see. Um, but anyway, that coupled with a shoulder that I'm calling Elsa because it's frozen, which has um, restricted my uh, orange theory at home workouts, um, prompted me to start walking and run walking again. So I got signed up for the half marathon in January um, on Tuesday. So I have my reservation at Art of Animation. Uh, thank you, Jackie, at MEI Mousetown Travel. And um filled out the form for the running club, so hoping to hear back about that soon. So, because um, I'm going just it's for fun. Um, I've been in a running club here in New York, even though I was a run walker, and it was too much pressure. So, just something that would be really fun, I think. So, um, anyway, hope people who were, who, blah, 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 hope people got in who wanted to get in, and um if they weren't able to get in, hopefully, maybe as things improve, they'll be able to open up more slots. But um, anyway, looking forward to seeing everybody in January. Take care, everybody. Stay safe. Bye. Good morning, Lou Mandela. It's Darlene Nagy, formerly of West Seneca, New York. And I'm calling in to say it's a gorgeous, beautiful day this Monday. May 18th, and it's sunny, and it's going to be about 87 down here in Florida. So I would like to also tell you that in about less than two and a half months probably now, you guys are going to be doing the Wyoming trip, and then you got the Marvel Cruise in the beginning of next year. I'm hoping things are going to get better quicker and that we can all go back to the new normal and please pack your patience and be kind, choose to be kind, and make somebody smile. Like Lou always says, stay positive. Love you, hugs, and have a magical day. Celebrations of all.